All right. Well, turn tonight to we are next few weeks looking at the Psalms of David. Um, those would be the Psalms in the book of Psalm that, that David wrote. Right? <laughs> We're going to be looking at Psalm 63 uh, tonight. And as we are going through at this point, we we've uh, been working through first Samuel um, in, on Wednesday night, and we've reached the life of David where David was anointed. And this last Wednesday, if you were with us, we had a helpful discussion or, or description of David's character that far outshone um, what we saw of Saul's character. Early on in the story of David, we're given that analysis of him. And we're, it tells us more of why um, he's described as having a heart for God in a way that Saul never did. But really, again, we really see his heart in the Psalms that he wrote. We'll see it somewhat in the narrative and in the story of David's life. But really, these Psalms are where it shines. And really, uh, this Psalm in particular, there is obviously such a close, I even use the word intimate relationship between David and, and God, that it really is remarkable as we look at this Psalm tonight. Um, this psalm was written by David, even at the beginning there, it says a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So we would think um, that this was probably written when he was hiding out from King Saul in the wilderness. And actually, that is what I had thought originally until I started studying this a little bit more. There is another interpretation of that as far as when this takes place in David's life. And the second interpretation is actually what I think is more accurate. Was there only one time in David's life when he was uh, wander not wandering in the wilderness? That was, uh, that was Israel. <laughs> David may have felt like he was wandering in the wilderness sometimes, but where he sought refuge in the wilderness. There was a second time toward the end of his life when he was literally fleeing for his life from his own son. And... As we'll look through some of the details here, I think it's better fits that point in David's life. We can't say for certain, but I think it fits that point. This then is a psalm from a seasoned, experienced servant of God who has drawn closer and closer through many failings and has been chastised and corrected. And, and so I, it seems like even the whole um, spirit of this psalm is a seasoned saint who has been following the Lord for a long time and who knows God well and knows even in trying circumstances that he's in against his own family. You know, sometimes um, seasoned or seasoned saints find themselves in situations where Family members uh, make wrong choices and they bear the brunt many times of those choices, whether it be a grandson or a, a child that has strayed. And maybe even they're being blamed and they're being accused in some form or fashion. When you're a senior saint, it's not that's not the time, but that's probably the worst time, if I can put it that way, for that kind of stress in your life, right? What do you do? Well, I think Saul uh, or David here reminds us of what we need to do as he's hiding in the wilderness, literally from his own son. 
He's experiencing the need for shelter, food, and water. And God is providing those things, of course. But this causes David to reflect on how God meets his spiritual needs and how even more important than his physical needs is in, in, in wonder, he describes this, that God meets his spiritual needs as well. His spiritual, he's finding spiritual satisfaction in his relationship with God. I've literally just entitled this message tonight, God Satisfies. Let's read the first five verses of Psalm 63. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Lord, let this be our testimony. No matter where we're at in our relationship with you, um, for those that are more on the early stage of their relationship, having trusted in you recently, may this be a goal of theirs, to draw closer to you, to know you so well that in the worst circumstances that life and even loved ones can bring to us, that we know that you have our backs and that you are with us. And for those that are seasoned and have walked with you a long time and can, like David, can attest, yes, I affirm in every way the truths that David is um, offering here. Let us still be encouraged. Even though we know these, they're well-worn truths, be encouraged in them as old friends that remind us of your fellowship and your closeness and relationship for your people. And in this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God satisfies, and David points out here, our spiritual needs can be satisfied. And David has these needs in his life, even as he's out in the wilderness, most likely, again, um, being pursued by his own son. He's been thrown out of Jerusalem out of his own palace. He doesn't have access to worshiping at the tabernacle at this point. And he has a lot of physical needs, but he reminds himself in his spirit that the spiritual needs that he has are even greater and God can satisfy those needs. And he describes it here, first of all, as spiritual thirst. And his spiritual thirst is satisfied with God's presence. And we can have that same satisfaction. So David, in this very first verse, again, reveals at the very beginning the depth of his relationship with God. He's confident in his personal relationship with Yahweh, with the Lord. Not only that he's the creator of the universe, but literally that the creator of the universe is also the God of the individual. That as great and as, as certainly the description we've looked at recently, in fact, this last psalm from last Sunday described God as God most high, right? And that he is high above all things. But folks, even in that description, understand that God most high 
is also for those that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can say he's also my God. He is with me and I can sense his presence. He's mine. Oh God, thou art my God. David, after a lifetime of searching or of um, seeking God and serving him and through some very deep valleys and some very dark sins and mistakes, he knows God's grace that God is still with him and he can say earnestly, he is my personal God. And because I have known his presence early then, will I seek thee is his response. Because of his personal close knowledge of God, he is going to make, he is going to seek out God and make seeking him a priority. And so early on in his day, he will seek him out. This is a good principle for us, isn't it? The, the more we draw closer to the Lord, the more he becomes important to us, the earlier or the easier it is to include him at the very beginning of our day. Sometimes young people struggle with this or, or new believers. And we all have times where we, we, we realize in our schedule, you know, I just totally skipped over or I didn't have that time with the Lord that I, I really should have. But when we, the, the more we grow in our relationship with the Lord, the more when we wake up, we realize, wow, I need God and I need him right away for this day to go well. I need his presence in my life especially when we're going through dark times. And so David says, I will seek him. He'll be the first person that I seek after when I get up in the morning. This also has the idea of eagerness. He is eager to spend time, to, have, uh, to enjoy the presence of God. Eager to the point where he says then these well-known uh, phrases, my soul thirsteth for thee. His inner being spiritually thirsts for God's presence. Um, I sure we can all give different illustrations about times where we were really, really thirsty. Now I've never been, let me think through this. I've never been in a desert um, thirsty for water. Thankfully I've seen movies and cartoons and things like that of this, where somebody is almost at the verge of death and they're crying out for water and different things. I've never been in a desert needing water, but I have been in strenuous situations there was one situation, my very first job, the Arden, his first real job is going to be at the wilds here, but my first job was something that was very hard and difficult. It was a unique situation um, called corn detasseling. In Michigan, there was an experimental way to grow corn where some of the rows of corn had to be detasseled. And then there was a one male roll of corn that would help fertilize the other rows. And they had these long, this, this tractor with these long arms and like three baskets on either side. And two people each would get in the basket and they would each take a row. And that tractor would just go down that row slowly. And as we go by, we would just pull the tassels out of the top of the corn. And it was monotonous and it got hot after a while. And there were a couple of times where I just jumped into the basket thinking, all right, let's just, let's get into this day. Yeah, I wasn't looking forward to it. Um, but what made it worse was when I realized I'd left my jug of water back in the field behind us. And I had to wait sometimes almost an hour 
before I could get access to that water. And I was hot and I was thirsty and my whole body was craving that drink, right? We've all had situations where we've been there. And I'm sure in this situation that David probably did have as he's out in the wilderness, although he had, God had provided for him, he had certainly throughout his life experienced physical thirst. And he uses that as an opportunity to describe even more important than physical thirst is his spiritual thirst for God's presence. And he also then talks about my flesh longeth or faints for thee. Not just his spiritual, but even in this instance, he seems to indicate his physical body seeks after God. And have you ever been in a situation where you've wanted something so much spiritually that it literally affects your physical well-being? Seems to be what David's saying here, that he's applying his physical experience in the wilderness, that experience of not having water and not having food, to his lack of ability to worship God in the way that he wants to. What is that way specifically? Verse 2 tells us, to see thy power in thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But David is here thinking specifically, I miss being with God's people, worshiping God in the sanctuary. And this is what makes me think this is the experience of David toward the end of his life. Because early on, when he was, when he was being sought after and uh, pursued by King Saul, um, Jerusalem wasn't the capital city yet, and the sanctuary or the tabernacle did not reside in Jerusalem. If you'll remember, uh, David had established Jerusalem as the capital city. Well, we haven't gotten to that part in our study of David yet. I think you all knew that. But he also had established the tabernacle in Jerusalem as the dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant. So David had had um, influence and a part in establishing Jerusalem so that people could come and worship in the sanctuary. And David was also a musician, and he led the people in worship. And it seems here what he's saying is, I miss my soul thirst, my flesh longeth to be able to worship God corporately at the sanctuary. I miss that. I enjoy that fellowship with God that I had there at the sanctuary. And literally, if again, if this is in regards to his son um, um, driving him out of Jerusalem, his son has forced him to leave Jerusalem, and he doesn't have access to that worship. And he's missing that. It's almost as if at the end of verse 1, get back to verse 1, in a dry and thirsty or weary land where no water is. If you've ever heard, seen those desert pictures where the ground is cracked and or there's sand and everything is really dry and there's dust and air, but there's no water. That vivid picture here is what David is saying. That's what it's like for me right now because I can't worship and seek God's fellowship and his presence in the way that I'm accustomed to in his sanctuary, and I miss that. I want to, verse 2, see thy power and thy glory. That glory is the weight of God's presence and his importance, and I miss that. And, I, and he looks back to those times that he's experienced, and he says, I want that again. I want that close fellowship that I've enjoyed. Do we miss God's fellowship 
when when we, we even even corporately as we uh, go about our week, do we enjoy worshiping God in a corporate way enough that throughout the week we miss that together, that sense of fellowship and that sense of his presence uh, among us? Well, I hope that we do. Uh, but do you have such a personal relationship with God as well that when you're apart from God's word or when you sense some distance, you miss that? It becomes apparent you're sensitive to that very quickly. David was, and David wanted to keep that close relationship in that way. Well, let's continue on. Spiritual thirst is satisfied with God's presence, but spiritual hunger is satisfied with God's loyal love. Here's a picture of spiritual hunger. Verse three, because thy loving kindness or steadfast love that has the idea of God's loyal love is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Here are um, one, two, three, uh, three descriptions, and we'll see more later on in the second part of this psalm, of praise to God. I just stop here just for a second on a practical level. Is everybody doing okay in here? I think it's a little warm. Is everybody feeling all right? Okay, just, just double checking. It feels really warm to me, and so it's not, we're doing the best we can, but I want to make sure that if you need something. What's that? Oh, I'm okay. I've got my water. I'm just making sure. Here is a spiritual hunger for God and for his presence, but a specific aspect of this that causes David to use these words for praise multiple times as he's thinking about God's steadfast love, God's loyal love for his people that David has experienced. Under these circumstances, these probably in some ways were the most difficult circumstances of David's life as his very own son desires to snuff out his life. And yet as he's contemplating on his relationship with the Lord, he thinks about God's love, his loyal, faithful love that God will always share with him. And he says, even more important, Lord, even if I lose my life by my own son, what's more important to me is that I have your loyal love, your faithful love, your covenant love in my life. Then clinging on, David, rather than clinging on to his own life, praises God for the love that he shows to him. Even with his life on the line, in other words, David says here, I will praise and worship the Lord, no matter what circumstance. And folks, if David can say that in the circumstance that he's in, then we can certainly um, say that with whatever we're facing, whatever dark problem, whatever difficulty we have. It's kind of hard to match your own son chasing after you to end your life, right? We can certainly say, then I will focus on the love that my Jesus, my God has for me, and I will worship and praise him regardless. Because that's what's most important. And that gives me strength and confidence. Charles Spurgeon. I know I'm using a lot of Spurgeon quotes lately, and I don't think that's a problem. But 
I have to take advantage. I have to say this. Floyd gave me a wonderful um, commentary set on Psalms done by Charles Spurgeon. And so I'm, as I'm reading through this, there's these great quote, quotes that I'm using. So you can blame him if you're tired of Spurgeon quotes, but these are good. He says, a weary place and a weary heart make the presence of God the more desirable. The absence of outward comforts can be borne with serenity when we walk with God. And the most lavish multiplication of them avails not when he withdraws. All we need in the end is God's presence. And that's enough. His love for us is more than enough to get us through. And so David says that. And then he uses these beautiful words of praise. Because, again, let's go back to verse 3. Your loyal love is better than life. It's the, it's the best thing in my life. My lips shall praise thee. And this word, Hebrew word for praise, has the idea specifically of worship and adoration that comes from one's mouth. It's verbally expressing praise and worship. David says, I will gladly at all times proclaim. Maybe, maybe in song. Maybe he recited the scriptures that he knew. Um, whatever this worship was involved, it was verbal. And he gladly does it as he thinks of God's love for him. Is that how we respond? Really, that's, that's one of the re main reasons why we sing corporately. As we think about all that God has done for us, it just verbally, our praise comes out on our lips. Lord, you love us so much, we just can't help but sing and praise. Or we can't help but tell others about you and worship you in that way. That should be a part of our lives. Well, then he continues, verse four, there, thus I will bless thee while I live, as long as you let me have life, Lord. And I really don't know in this situation how long that's going to be. But as long as you give me life, I will bless you. And this has the picture in the Hebrew of adoring God on bended knee. And that song, bow the knee that we sing sometimes. That's a good picture of this word when it says I bless. It's not that God needs a blessing but it's our realization of all that God has done for us and our praising him in submission to him in a stance of humility, praising God. I will bless you while I live and I will lift up my hands in thy name. This literally in the Jewish uh, worship, it was a way of lifting up and directing um, with their hands physically their worship to God. And David says, I give you my praise and my worship. In verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow or fat and fatness or rich food. He says, spiritually, my soul is just as satisfied right now as if, if I could put it in modern vernacular, as if I'd eaten at a buffet. Now, David doesn't have access to a buffet, and probably food is somewhat scarce, although, again, in this account of his time, in the wilderness, God does provide for him. But he is describing really a spiritual buffet here. Things may be tough physically, but I have a spiritual banquet before me that my God has provided for me. And I am satisfied with that. I can't help but think when, when in a description of the overwhelming banquet and access to it that David has with spiritual blessings. And, you know, they, one of the reasons that my family and I, we love to go to Pennsylvania, and we've talked with Kurt and Suzanne about this, some of you others as well. They have some wonderful restaurants 
in central Pennsylvania, right? Those, those Amish restaurants, uh, diners and different things. And um, there's a lot of other restaurants um, in the area that are really good restaurants. But the one that everybody seems to think the most of is that Beacon on the Hill, Shady Maple, there in central Pennsylvania. Um, it's it almost as like, as you get to the, the building, it's like a, a mall or a huge warehouse. And you park and you go in and the place is, is even the waiting area there is huge. They have a whole shopping area downstairs. And anyway, if you've ever been there before, it really is overwhelming by the time you go through and you pay a lot for the experience of eating all this food. And you get in there and um, you start surveying all the food in the different um, carts and, and things that they have and the desserts. It, it, it is overwhelming how much food they can have in one place. It's, are you guys hungry yet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Should I describe it? All the fried chicken. And no, it's not fried. It, it's, it's roasted, right? Yeah, I have to get that right. It's better than fried chicken. The desserts and all of that. And we, we've taken some missionaries before as a church ministry. And some of those missionaries that come from poorer countries are literally, they just can't imagine. They can't take it all in that there's this much food. Well, that's wonderful. Although I can only do that maybe once every two years or so, or even more so. It's just, just, just too much. But folks, really, that's a picture of what David says here is that it's even better than that. When he comes before his God and in his presence, the spiritual benefits, it's just overwhelming. It's just incredible. Words can't describe. But he will praise anyway when he thinks on this. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. And this Hebrew word is really the Hebrew word where we get hallelujah. Does that sound familiar to you? Grateful praise um, to a higher being than oneself. And so David gives grateful praise to the God most high, the Lord most high for all of his blessings and benefits. And notice, even in the midst of his very difficult situation, there is joy on his lips. He's ready to rejoice in all that God has done. Hard to imagine that this man is going through so many difficulties in the midst of writing this psalm. And yet he is. Spiritual hunger is satisfied with God's loyal love. But also, the second aspect as we go through verses 6 through 11, our spiritual needs can be satisfied. Our spiritual well-being will be provided for. Folks, if you are God's children, you will be provided for. God will take care of you. It may not be in the way that you expected. He might surprise you sometimes in the avenues that he uses to take care and protect and provide for us but he will do that. So David now meditates on that, on God's promises of provision. Spiritual provision really is in mind here. In verse six, God will provide protection. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. And I put down as a note for this, sleepless nights can provide opportunity to reflect on the character of God and his goodness. You know, we are characterizing our culture today with um, insomnia. It's almost really a type of epidemic in and of itself. People having sleep issues and struggling to go to sleep. That is a reality. A lot of people struggle with that. Interesting in our culture today, more than ever, even more than David 
would have struggled with in the midst of his difficulties. People today that have so, so much more shelter and are so much more provided for struggle with sleepless nights more than ever. And a majority of those folks, and sometimes even God's people, instead of handling that in the right way, like David says here, to take that opportunity to then reflect on God and his goodness, they just worry and they get more worked up and more worked up. The exact opposite of what David says here. Folks, what's a cure for insomnia? And now there may be some medical issues and things with that, certainly. But sleepless nights, I've, the Lord has shown me over the years that the sooner I go to his word, don't just lay there, and, but okay, go to God's word. Remind yourself about who God is. Remind yourself that he will take care of you and that all these things you're worried about, give them over to him. He wants you to have a good night's sleep and sleep on it. And God will take care of them till the next day. If you've made mistakes, he has grace for that. If people, if people, other people are bringing up difficult things in your life, God will handle them. Go to sleep and enjoy um, the grace that God can give for that. That's easier to say sometimes than it is to do. But honestly, folks, the more we meditate, just like David says here, on thee and the night watches, if God's got you up at night, don't miss the opportunity to think on him. And David does that. Can you imagine David um, looking up at the stars literally in the middle of the night? I'm sure the stars were clear and the celestial um, planets and things, whatever he could see of them, and the moon sometimes. I'm sure in that wilderness they were as clear as anything that we can see today. And he would look up at God's creation and meditate on the all-powerful God that was his God and the help that he will give. And that's verse 7, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now, we talked about being taking refuge under God's wings last week, and I won't, um, I won't stay on that point too long because we covered a lot of it last week. But it still is David saying, I have refuge under the wings, under the shadow of God's protection. I have salvation and help. And he's progressed to the point now where he not as fearful in the refuge of God's wings, but he rejoices. This word for rejoice literally is shout out for joy. Uh, kind of has the idea of I'm protected by my God and I'm almost fearless in a sense. And I'll gladly shout out for joy at what he's done for me in the presence of mine enemy. Now, he wouldn't say, nah, 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 you can't hurt me or anything like that. But that same sort of confidence really is David proclaiming that here. I shout out for joy because he is my refuge. And he loudly rejoices over his salvation in the refuge of God. But at the same time, it's not a um, wrong sort of self-confidence, because at the same time, he describes that he's clinging to God in desperate dependence. My soul followed hard for the idea of clings after thee. You ever heard that old um, phrase, or that's not a proverb, but modern saying, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on? I remember when I was a kid going to the library and there was a poster in the back of the library and it had a rope 
and there was a knot tied on and there was this cute little kitten hanging on the rope for all he was worth. And he had this expression like, and that always stuck with me. And it had that, that um, phrase, that description at the top. When you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. Um, it's better than what, than what that describes when David says, my soul clings hard after thee. Folks, we don't have to worry about taking the time to tie a knot. God will hold on to us. We cling to him in desperation, knowing that he will help us, because that's a second part of this. Thy right hand upholdeth me. The right hand is a symbol for God's might and power, and God is all-powerful to hang on to us. We can trust, even if we feel like we're at the end of our rope. We don't have to worry about tying that knot, because God will hang on to us. He will keep us. I remember as a small child, before I had learned how to swim, I don't know where we were for sure. It was either at the ocean. I think it was at a lake, a large lake. And uh, we were on vacation. Um, and my family was around the beach. It was kind of like a shopping area there, there too. Um, and there was a dock nearby. And uh, I saw, for whatever reason, I was only maybe four or five, three or four actually, and I saw this stick in the water, floating in the water. And I just thought to myself, I'd really like to have that stick. I, I don't know why that was such a big deal to me at the time. But I reached down to grab that stick and I literally bloop, fell in. And I was in a panic and struggling and trying to get out of that water. It was much deeper than it looked. It was way over my head. And I thought, as much as a small child can think this, this is not good. I'm in big trouble here. And all of a sudden, I remember this hand just coming almost out of nowhere into the water and pulling me up. I was helpless to get out of that situation in and of myself. And that hand was connected to my father. And I was never so glad to see him as that moment. And he literally picked me, pulled me out of there. And folks, that's a beautiful illustration. God will pull us out, will hold on to us in our most desperate situations. And David knows that. And so he's rejoicing in that knowledge. But there is another aspect of this. God's enemies don't have those types of assurances. And we're going to see here at the end that God will deal with his enemies, but he will provide joy for his people. David says, I can trust God. God will protect me. But my enemies, no such situation there no such assurance but those that seek my soul or my very life to destroy it and again if this is at the end of his life he's literally talking about his own son shall go into the lower parts or the depths of the earth they'll be basically consigned to the realm of the dead and david gets very picturesque here in a very vivid and memorable way Going to the lower parts, the depths of the earth has the idea of they will enter the grave or the realm of the dead. They shall fall by the sword or they will be given over to the power of the sword. And then this is a really vivid description here, although you might not catch it. They shall be a portion for foxes. Well, we don't normally think of foxes as being scavengers that, that eat flesh. Well, really, in the Hebrew, this probably better can be described as jackals. Scavengers, and the, the picture here is God has slain his enemies, and the scavengers are coming to dispose, to consume. The jackals are consuming the bodies 
of David's enemies. A very picturesque um, description of the futility of those that reject God and that are after David. And folks, you may have people that are you feel like are after you in this world today that are fighting against you, fighting not only against God and you are their point person for God and they're angry towards you, they're making your life miserable. Remember, there will come a point where God will deal with them in a final way. Pray for them. And remember, God will deliver you, but there will come a vivid final judgment for those people that's even more descriptive and awful than what these verses describe as the end of David's enemies. But God will deal with them at one point, and it will be a sobering thing. But on the other side of it, verse 11, the king shall rejoice in God. This also then makes us think that this is David toward the end of his life because he's talking about the king, probably himself, that shall rejoice. If this were when King Saul was pursuing him, he probably wouldn't be describing King Saul in that way. Maybe he's describing the fact that he will one day be king. Most likely he's looking at the fact that he is king. He's referring to himself, but the king shall rejoice. And this picture, this word for rejoice means joy that comes, fills one's whole being. That's a wonderful word for rejoice. They shall rejoice in God. The king will, and then everyone or all that sweareth by him, all that serve under him will experience full, complete joy as well, and will give glory to God. And the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. That may seem like a strange way to end that psalm. But folks, if you really think about what we deal with in our world today, in the misinformation, in the lies, in the falsehoods, it is, so, it is harder now than ever. Even with all the access we have to information, it's harder to get to the truth because there's so much deception. Don't you just get tired of that? Don't you just wish, I just wish I knew the truth of the matter, whether it's about medicine or whether it's about politics, it's like you can't get the straight scoop on almost anything. And we're reminded here, and David reminds us, one day all of that deceit, all of those lies, all of those falsehoods, they will stop like a cacophony of noise that God just shuts down. And we get to be in the peace of truth for eternity. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? I'm ready for these lies and this misinformation to stop. And one day Jesus will return and it will stop. And we'll hear only truth for all eternity. Won't that be wonderful? We won't have to even worry about turning on the news or whatever, Fox News or whatever. Eh, forget all that. We'll just know the truth of God's word and we'll relish that. Well, David depicts the fact that God satisfies us in all aspects of our being, and we can have our trust and refuge in him. So I hope that's an encouragement for you tonight. Father, let us run to you, the shadow of your wings, and loudly rejoice in all that you do for us. Lord, it's easy even to talk about these things, to teach these things, but as we get into our week, applying them is more difficult. And here we have a man that literally was in one of the most desperate situations in his life, either at the beginning or at the end of his life. 
And yet he proclaims loudly the truth of your protection and of your satisfaction, regardless of where we're at. My prayer is for everyone here, everybody that's listening to this, that as God's children, that we will experience that satisfaction in you, regardless of all the things going on around us. And help us to turn to you alone for that satisfaction that only you can give. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.